Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our Sunday service. For those of you who are new here, my name is Nayaswami Devi, and this is Nayaswami Jyotish, and we're happy to be uh, officiating. That's a kind of a big word, but anyway, we're happy to be here for Sunday service. So we'll start with our readings from Rays of the One Light. I think this would be better. So our topic this week is How Devotees Rise. Pay attention. (laughs) Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Last week we asked the question, Why do devotees fall? And we considered the downfall of Judas in this context. Jesus, in answer to Judas's criticism for allowing Mary to rub his feet with spikenard, a costly ointment, said, The poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. Jesus is saying here that there is one supreme injustice that needs eradication. Poverty, yes, but not of a material kind. Poverty in a spiritual sense. Divine blessings are not common in this world. They are extraordinary. When they come, we should give them priority above every other consideration. Never allow a moment of inner joy, for instance, to be set aside for lesser duties. Divine attunement is our highest priority. As Lahiri Mahashaya, the guru of Yogananda's guru, said, to listen to the heart's inner sound, Om, which issues from the very center of our being, is man's highest duty. Mary, on this occasion, was not communing in inner silence with Christ's spirit as she had been when Martha urged that she be reproached by Jesus for not helping out out in the kitchen. Mary, this time, was serving outwardly, but in a very different spirit from the restless fussing for which Jesus had reprimanded her sister Martha. Those who see a radical difference between the paths of action and meditation should understand this distinction— To serve in the right spirit is necessary. For only thereby can we overcome our karmic tendencies toward restless activity. The important thing is that spirit be always inwardly focused. That in everything we do, we act in loving service to the Lord. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the third chapter, the state of freedom from action, that is, of eternal rest in the spirit, cannot be achieved without action. No one, by mere renunciation and outward non-involvement, can attain perfection. When the Spirit of God descends upon you, however, Remember the words of Jesus, Me, ye have not always with you. Thus, through Holy Scripture, 
God has spoken to mankind. It's a beautiful reading, isn't it? Me, you have not always with you. Well, we're trying to fix that, so. This is Master's Prayer from Whispers from Eternity. Prayer demand for illumination. O Spirit, beloved Father, over soul of the universe, spirit of spirits, friend of friends, Teach me the mystery of my existence. Teach me to worship thee in breathlessness and in deathlessness. In the fire of devotion, burn away my ignorance. In the stillness of my soul, come, spirit, come. Possess me and teach me to feel thy immortal presence in and around me. Come, spirit, come. Come, spirit, come. Beautiful. Well, this topic, How Devotees Rise, is both very interesting and very pertinent. It's interesting that Swami would put the question of, I don't know, elevation of consciousness or approach to God or the spiritual search in terms of rising, it gives a kind of a image and a sense of, of moving up from the earth. And I'll talk about that. But that image of rising as the means to spiritual advancement is very different from what I came up with, was more of the onward Christian soldiers marching as to war uh, image of how you make spiritual progress, where it's very earthbound. Part of it is because we have left the dark age of Kali Yuga behind and those images and those ways of worshiping are that were very appropriate in that age are ceasingly less and less appropriate in our age. We have a different means of finding God that is the the pathway And it has to do with, as this prayer was in deathlessness and in breathlessness, has to do with the control of energy. And so, in one sense, we can approach this subject of how devotees rise in terms of energy and how our energy rises. We have a dear friend who is an architect and an engineer and a landscape architect and a whole bunch of other things. And he's designed a number of the buildings here, including uh, the Harmony House, which, Serenity House, which uh, is one of the facilities here. Zach Stewart is his name. But he made a comment many years ago, which I've always appreciated. He said, you know, we architects and engineers, we study the effects of the law of gravity, And that's how we make our living. But you at Ananda, you study levity. (laughs) 
And that's your area of specialty. And it's a very interesting, it's a very interesting statement because there's the tendency on the spiritual path to think that more gravity is going to somehow get us up into the errors of higher awareness, higher consciousness, and it just doesn't work. A sad saint is a sad saint indeed, as a, a great saint of long ago put it. We cannot get into this uh, awareness of our own higher self by the laws of gravity, by condemnation, by cons- I don't know, contraction, by judgmental nat- nature. That is an old image of God projected from mankind where you've got this judgmental God who's just waiting for you to make a mistake and then as Swami says he's going to clap you in hell for all eternity and he not only is waiting for you to make a mistake but he's set up the world so that basically you can't avoid making mistakes and then he's going to get you for it. That old image of Sin and damnation is not the not the image that's going to uh, get us into the rising consciousness that brings us to God. And so, how do we how do we begin to work with the laws of levity? There are a couple of ways that a couple of rules of this. Basically, I'm going to come back to this, but. I'm going to use the analogy of a hot air balloon because it will help us understand some of the things that we have to do. But understand that it's only an analogy. Really what we're talking about is life force and consciousness. We have to bring our life force inward and we have to let it rise into the higher areas of our consciousness until eventually we get to the point where our life force leaves this body in breathlessness and we become deathless. And that's how we really rise. But to come back to the analogy of the hot air balloon, we all know basically how it works. We've seen, we just watched a little while ago the Around the World in 80 Days with Swami, a movie that he enjoys. And in that there's a hot air balloon and they, they're, trying to get over the Alps. Well, it's a, it's a good analogy. They're trying to get over this big, high, difficult obstacle and they have to rise above it in order to get over it. So they get in this hot air balloon and the first thing they do is they untie the ropes that are holding the hot air balloon down. And that is analogous to us. We have to untie from our own lives those heavy-duty attachments and desires that keep us earthbound. For, and it varies. Some of us might have a very heavy rope that goes down and it's tied to a big lump of gold down there. And that's attachment to money and attachment to things that money buys. And when we have a rope like that, we, it, it is not only a static thing, but it ties us through consciousness. When we're attached to money, 
our mind goes over and over and over again to the attachment of money. And soon we're studying the Wall Street Journal and all of the various permutations and strategies by which we can accumulate more money and our whole consciousness can get going that way. Same with other of those heavy ropes, uh, sex desires, desires for fame and name and so on. The desires of the lower chakras basically hold us down. The energy of the lower chakras, security, relationships or sex and um, uh, well, name, power, power things. Those lower chakras hold our energy down. They're like the ropes that tie us to the earth. And if we're going to rise, we have to cut those. Now, it's very hard to cut those ropes completely, but at least temporarily we have to cut them. And that allows the hot air balloon to float free from from the earth Once the ropes are cut, then we come into a struggle with gravity, don't we? Because it's the earth that's trying, uh, the force of gravity that's trying to hold us down to the earth. Now, gravity is a universal law, and it's a very interesting one. Because what it depends on is that every particle in space is attracting all the other particles in space. Isn't that interesting? Everything is attracting. It's all one unified whole, and it's all attracting each other. And so, but the the reason we're held to the earth is that the earth has a lot more molecules than you do. And it has a lot more mass with that. And therefore, it seems as if the earth is holding you to itself, but actually you're pulling the earth up with your mass, with your molecules, just that it's kind of an unfair fight. The earth has a lot more, a lot more of them than, than we do. Well, as we begin to move away, the force of gravity, again, is very interesting. I'm going to come back to why. As we begin to move and create distance between the particles, the force of gravity becomes much, much less. The reason this is interesting is because gravity is like desires and the magnetism of things in the world. When we, when we have a lot of desire to come back for money, a lot of desires for that, it's like that has a lot of weight, a lot of mass, and we're stuck fast to it. All we have to do is pull back a little bit and that gravity for that particular area begins to decrease very quickly. Cliff or other scientists probably know the formula, but I think it decreases at the square square of how far away you are. So a little bit gets multiplied and farther and farther until uh, it doesn't take very long until you're no longer subject to the laws of gravity of this earth. We think it's hard that you have to go a long ways in order to get away from that. But basically, you have to get away from the earth about 60 miles or so. And when you do that, you start floating. You become, 
You become free of the force of the pull of gravity of the earth. Now, 60 miles up into space is not, 60 miles is not very far. When you think of the size of the earth, that's less than the skin of an apple from the whole apple. You have to get up about the skin of the apple and then you're free from the pull of that downward pulling gravity. Well, enough with the analogies for a moment because we aren't so concerned about getting rid of the gravity of earth. What we are concerned about though is getting away from the pull of those desires and attachments that keep us bound and keep us earthbound in our consciousness. And so, what? The, but what this does tell us is very hopeful. You don't have to pull very far away from the magnetism of those desires and their force quickly loses its power. And so then the next thing is, is that we begin to float free from the earth. The balloon begins to float up and and we've cut the cut the ropes. We're floating up. If we want to float f- higher, we dump the sand out of the little bags. And however many little bags you hold on to, however much sand, it's going to keep you from rising in your consciousness. And so you've got to dump those little desires out. And and just the easiest way is just to go around the edge of your little gondola and dump them all away. Quickly, don't don't do them grain by grain. Oh no, not that one, not that one. Oh, that's a. It just doesn't just dump them. Get rid of them. Then you float up. But interestingly enough, in a hot air balloon, you are never going to get away from the gravity of the Earth. You'll get a certain level up, but when you reach the upper atmosphere, where the density is less, it really, you aren't rising so much as the density of the air around you is pushing you up. But when you get high enough, it ceases to be that you're lighter than the air around you and you just kind of stay there. And you can't free yourself completely from the, you can't rise into the fullness of the expansion of consciousness that you want just by dumping away desires, just by getting rid of things. There has to be something else, some other force. Fortunately, when we get unattached enough, what we also do is begin to desire strongly that God come into our life that the guru comes to us. And it's really that power that reaches down and pulls us. But we can't get to there when we're, when we're too earthbound. Another thing that happens is that as we rise, the landscape, our viewpoint changes. Things that seemed hard and heavy and dark. For instance, if we're out, trying to weed this field with our kneeling down and our nose in the dirt and looking at all of those blankety-blank weeds and trying to pull them up. All we think of is the dirt and the blankety-blank weeds. We don't have a real broad perspective when we're stuck like that. 
When we are focused on our problems, which are the weeds, when we're focused on, as it said, the past and the future, how many weeds we've already done, how many more we've got to do, and oh my God, and we're just, we're locked in. We can't get much of a perspective on life. And life doesn't seem very joyful or very interesting. But get a little ways away from it, and that field becomes beautiful. Get farther, the whole earth becomes beautiful. Everything becomes, as we rise in consciousness, everything around us becomes more and more beautiful and joyful and light. That's one of the elements of the power of levity, is that also with levity comes increased joy, increased happiness, increased love, increased kindness. All of those good qualities begin to blossom automatically and spontaneously. So now, as we get far enough into our detachment, into our desire to rise higher, then the power of God comes in. And this is the most important thing, most important aspect of what I have to say this morning is that as as we reach out to God, then God responds to us basically according to the intensity of our desire. We have a very, very dear friend who is in the last stage of her life now. And she's a, been a long, a lifelong disciple of Ananda Moy Ma and spent many, many years with Ma. It's beautiful to see devotees, real devotees, in the last stages of their life. Because one of the things that happens then is that it's basically, well, I don't, I don't know what all the components are, but attachments, desires, hopes that things are that if they if we can just achieve this or get this all of that begins to drop away and the soul begins to shine through and when that happens in the life of a devotee as they get very close to releasing from this plane it can be very very uplifting and beautiful to be in her name's hari priya to be in the presence of hari priya now is in and of itself a spiritual, I don't know, enlightenment. It's, she doesn't even, she isn't very talkative right now. She doesn't need to be. But just all that's left is her desire to be with her guru, to be with Ma, to be with God. I've been, and because of, of that connection. I've been rereading some of the books about Ananda Moy Ma that we have. There's a very, very beautiful one. I don't know how available it is, but it's called Mother as Revealed to Me by one of her most advanced disciples, Baiji. And he realized, he, he began searching and he found Ma fairly early on in his search. Well, that, when he was a, a young man, for him, it was a long time. He was very 
desirous of finding somebody to guide him and he couldn't find the right person. But one of the things that he said in there and is very interesting is that, um, and is in the title of the book, he called it Mother is Revealed to Me. He said that God is omnipresent. This is a very profound thought and I want you to really try to understand this. God is always present. He put it that Ma is omnipresent in her consciousness. She is always there and she will reveal herself to you according to how much you draw from her. So I'm going to repeat that, just not with Ma. God is omnipresent in life, and God and high consciousness will reveal itself to you more and more and more as you desire it. As we do it in the uh, purification ceremony, it's the same thought. Open your heart to me. If we open our heart, if we yearn for God, then God, what? I will come in and take charge of your life. And so it's that yearning for God that opens. So here we are in our hot air balloon and we've risen basically as far as we can under our own powers. We've cut those ropes, we've dumped the sand, we've pumped the hot air, we've done everything we can and we get up to a certain point, even that, as I said, reveals a beautiful landscape, a beautiful life. But if we're trying to really escape the downward pull of this world, we want more than just a beautiful life and a lovely landscape. We want to be free completely from that gravitational contractive force that pulls us. In order to get that last part, we need the help of God and Guru in order to do that. And the more we desire, the more intensely we desire. That's why Swami said that the difference between work and meditation, for instance, is essentially not really there as long as we're serving God whether you're desiring God and focusing your mind while sitting still or you're desiring God and focusing your mind while being active, there's not really a lot of difference between those. But there's a lot of difference between not desiring God and being busy or not desiring God and sitting even still and pretend meditation. So we have to do those things that awaken in us more and more deep yearning for God. And one of the things that holds us back is the pull of our old tendencies, our old karma, the old momentum. There's restlessness, there's desires, all of those pulls of past patterns. We have to begin to free ourselves from work service to God in God's name for God if we can do that the essence of service of karma yoga is to be active for God without any desire 
for the fruits. If you desire the fruits, if you want money for your service, if you want recognition for your service, if you want anything to yourself for what you do, it doesn't remove the upward pulling tendency, but it diminishes it, it limits it. And so completely just giving of yourself actively for God will free you from the restraints of past karma. And it's very, very important that we be active for God because unless we are, our energy is, we have a lot of life force, we have a lot of energy, and that energy is going to express itself somehow. It is not going to just be idle. And if we don't channel it in a positive direction, it's going to just go out restlessly and create more desires and more attachments. Idle hands are the devil's workplace, is the way that they used to do that. So, so in order to get rid of that restless tendency, we have to try to keep ourselves occupied and energized toward uplifting things. In past, that used to be done when when a person wanted to become spiritual a few hundred years ago, they entered a monastery. And the old forms of the monastery are very, very regulated. I Somebody just yesterday sent me an article about the Trappist monks. And there, there are still a few orders around, but they're diminishing. And basically these big monasteries have a few generally old monks that live in them. Uh, but the the order, the Trappist order, is primarily in silence, almost completely in silence, and very, very regulated. They get up at 3.45 every morning. At 4 o'clock, they start the first of six prayer sessions that go on. They all have, you know, matins and knowns and... Uh, I don't know what all they are, but they they each have their Latin names. But a very, very regulated life. You know, every couple of hours you go to the prayers, the group prayers, then you do your silent prayers and you do your reading from the scriptures and the Bible. But every moment is basically taken up. And that is one way to get rid of the sense of idleness and non-focused energy, but it's not the way of this age of Dwapara Yuga. And that's why those older forms of monasteries are diminishing. We have another way that we worship, and in some ways it's harder because we don't have the protection of thick walls around us or of daily, completely having all of our hours scheduled during the day. We basically have to live in the world and see God in the world and begin to release ourselves from attractants and attachments even while living in the world. And in some ways it's a harder path, partly because we are in the most restless age of a restless world in a restless galaxy and we're 
We're just, you know, we're fighting against cosmic forces that don't make it easy. Fortunately, we're given tools, and those tools are Kriya Yoga, meditation, service, satsang, community, those things that God has gathered together for us appropriately in this age. And those are very powerful forces that help us in releasing from that. But now the most important thing is the intensity of our desire for God because it's that that he will respond to and will lift us the last part of the way on our journey. This bhaji was relating a story that, and this was a person that Ma told him that this was his last lifetime. So obviously a very, very elevated soul. He said at one point he had been, he had many, many things that happened uh, with him and to him. He would spontaneously begin chanting mantras that he didn't even know that Ma was, and he would do it for days or even weeks at a time and uh, many of those kinds of things. But at one point he uh, got it in his, somebody told him or some people told him that he was too dependent on Anandamoy Ma and that he just wasn't much of a devotee because he was always wanting to be around her and he ought to have more spine and more determination and do more of the work for himself. And he said, I let that confusion enter into my mind. And so he decided he wouldn't go see Ma for a while. And he was home and he was studying scriptures and he was reading and he was meditating. But it wasn't working for him very well. And then this went on for, I don't know, a a week or 10 days. But nothing, his life was beginning to dry up. And then uh, a little sadhu knocked on his door and he went and uh, this sadhu said, I want to meet Ananda Moima and I've gone to two or three of her other disciples and they're they're gone. They, I, I can't find them. And somebody said that you are a disciple of Ma. Can you introduce me to her? And just that, that little connection, he started weeping and he realized how desperately he wanted to be with Ma again. And of course he took her, uh, took this man to meet her. And she of course knew what he was going through and she just laughed. She said, some people have to be pushed along the path. (laughs) I had to send that fellow to you to bring you back here. (laughs) And so, but, but when we make that connection with the divine, the divine will push us along the path. He will come into our life and take charge of our life if we open our hearts to him. I'm going to end. I I don't want to go in length to this, but it's instructive. I had recently a dream in which Master came to me. It's not common for, for me. I don't have those dreams every night. And as Swami said in here, when that happens... When a high experience comes to you, then hold on to that with everything you can. Don't take it lightly. Just keep holding on to that energy and that blessing with everything you've got. But the 
I, I felt that I was debating. Often I don't want, I don't like to because Master said not to share these inward experiences. But I think it can be helpful, not because of the experience so much as because of the process that led to it. So I was, as I said, I was rereading uh, these wonderful stories about Ananda Moima. And that was the first thing. We need to reach out and we need to find things in our life. Other devotees, high stories of saints that awaken in us the desire for God. And so I would suggest that your reading be more about the saints or from the saints or from high consciousness that awakens in you devotion. And so having been reading that, I was chanting as I was going to sleep, will that day come to me, Ma, when saying your name, my eyes will flow with tears. And I don't know whether it was while I was drifting off or whether it was later on and that same chant came in a dream or the mood of that chant, I should say, came in a dream. But I entered into a state in which I was intensely desiring contact with the divine and my eyes were flowing with tears during that. And I was just very much wanting it. And that's when Master came in the dream. And so I share it not because it's particular to me. It's a universal process. But do those things that awaken in you devotion and a a desire for the divine. And when that becomes intense, know that the divine, your own particular form of the divine, is eager for you to come into that state. You don't have to persuade them. They're just waiting. When Dr. Lewis accepted, told Master, he gave him his unconditional love, Master went like this, he said. said, now I can take charge of your life. They're eager to help us. That's why they come into this world. Our job is simply to open ourselves to that help. We have to do what we can to rise in consciousness. But then, most of all, we have to open ourselves to the divine and they will reach and lift us the rest of the way.